message is, uh, of course, Father's Day oriented, uh, oriented to fathers. We're going to title it, uh, The Kind of Father That God Is. The Kind of Father That God Is. I need you in Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 first. Then we're going to go over to 1 Samuel and uh, kind of hang out there for a little while. So Matthew 7, uh, verse 9, Or what man is there of you, uh, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more... Uh, shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And I want you to be making your way over to uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll be there in just a little bit. 1 Samuel, uh, right at the front of the book there, uh, first couple of chapters. And once you find that, just kind of hang on to it. Uh, now, Father's Day started in America, strangely enough. It was uh, started by a lady uh, in 1909. Uh, about 109 years ago. This lady's name was Sonora Dodd, and she was sitting in church on Sunday listening to a sermon on Mother's Day, and she decided it was only fair that dads also have a day. So in 1910, she arranged a a special church service uh, in the church she was in to say thank you for her own father, and eventually the idea caught on, it grew, eventually made it to the White House, became a big thing. In 72, President Nixon made it permanent, uh, made it official, uh, now it's on the calendar, the third Sunday of uh, every June. Now that little bit of uh, information may win you a trivia game sometime, okay, just in case. Father's Day is celebrated all around the world, and, and it's used to say thank you and to encourage fathers in their parental responsibilities. Now, uh, there's an old English proverb uh, that tells how important fathers are. It says a father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. See, fathers are often more appreciated at, at different ages in the lives of their children. Mark Twain had the candor to admit a change in uh, his perception of his father. It says, when I was a boy of 14, he said, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to be around the old man. But When I got to uh, 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in those seven years. (laughs) Rob Parsons, uh, he founded uh, Care for the Family, uh, asked this question, what is the most important gift a father can give to his child? And he always gave the same answer to this question. This is unconditional love and acceptance. Now, the key to a child's heart is uh, to let them, whether it's a him or her, son or daughter, to let them know that we love them uh, anyway. We just love them anyway. Uh, Regardless of what will happen or has happened, there's really no more powerful force on the face of the earth just about uh, for building strong relationships than this kind of love and, and acceptance. It's the kind of love that says no matter how bad you mess up, I will love you. There may be consequences for your mess up, but I'll be there for those too. I may not protect you from those consequences, but I will be there with you through those consequences. It's our job as fathers and for us who are grandfathers that have influence over our grandchildren. Uh, It's it's our job to, to know how to reject the wrong behavior without rejecting the child. 
to disapprove of the disobedience without rejection of the son or daughter. Our, um, our fathers aren't perfect. We as fathers aren't perfect. One father tells a story of his daughter coming home from school and she came running in to busting the door open. Dad, I got a 95% on my math test. And the dad asked the little girl two questions. Uh, first one was what happened to the uh, other 5%? And then uh, the other question was, well, how close to the top of the class were you? It's painful to hear that, isn't it? Um, yeah. He later confessed, I'm not proud of that conversation. Well, obviously. Of course, every parent you ought to try their utmost to motivate their children to help them achieve the best that they can do. Uh, often a parent knows a child's capable of more than they know that they're capable of. Um, but on their relationship, uh, you know, we're, we're the father, we're, we're the grandfather. Uh, love needs not be based on performance. So how do we emulate the kind of father that God is? First of all, children can see our love and acceptance in them by the words that we speak. Acceptance means that we strive to find the good in the children. And if we're not careful, so much of our communication with our children involves catching them doing something wrong and then criticizing them for how wrong they were. A woman was looking back one time over her rebellious teenage years and struggling to find an answer as to why she reacted the way she did. And finally, she was able to kind of make sense of it all, put it into words. She said, the fastest way to get my dad's attention was to do something wrong. See, for a child, even, even negative attention is better than no attention. But positive attention is what they need most. It is imperative that we catch that we look for our children doing things right. We do well to remember the power of praise, what we feel like when somebody compliments us. There's hardly a person on the face of the earth who doesn't respond to positive praise, to this kind of encouragement. Most of us know how effective it is if we're at work and somebody praises a job we've done. But for a child, it can be like rain in the desert. Children thrive under the praises of their father. You find good things to say about your child, and then you tell your child, and then you tell, uh, you tell others in front of your child. Now, of course, there's two sides to every coin. Children, like all humans, have this innate desire built into them that they want to do, you know, what they want to do. And, and, and often that can lead to that downward spiral of rebellion. But, you know, it's just all part of that fallen human nature. Don't forget that your, your perfect little angels have sin natures. And they will express it. Part of the parental responsibility is to, is to provide, in those cases, a loving discipline. The book of Proverbs is, is, is replete with this. Uh, chapter 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he, he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's not, it says what it says, but we misunderstand what it says. Uh, 
Train up a child in his way. Train up a child in the way of the child, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you let the child guide themselves in the way they want to be raised, no one will be able to undo the damage. They'll grow up to be unmanageable adults. Proverbs goes on in chapter 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And he urges his readers to uh, chapter 29, verse 17, to discipline your sons and, and you'll give you praise. Of course, it all depends on how that is done. When you punish a child, it makes you feel better because you feel like you've been vindicated for them daring to disobey you. And the child is crushed in your attempt to repair your ego. But when you discipline, when you discipline, you train. And when you train a child, it helps that child grow and it helps them learn and it helps them flourish. There's a tragic example of this over in 1 Samuel. Uh, Eli is a high priest of Israel. He lived about 900 years before Christ, and he had two sons uh, that he evidently failed to discipline. Uh, and later in life, when they followed their father's priestly functions, they weren't only evil in their personal lives, but they corrupted the offerings of God, and they made it so that uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to, uh, 12 to 17, uh, they, they, they so corrupted the offerings of God that people abhorred coming to the temple to even worship God. Even when their father confronted them, it was obviously too late. They, they refused to repent, and, and that led to God's condemnation of them. It led to the downfall of the two sons and the judgment upon the nation of Israel and, Israel, um, and Eli's really tragic death. He was sitting up on something when he heard the news about his sons. He actually fell backwards and broke his neck. Now, how can, we, how can we strike the right balance? Children need to see that we love them, not just in our words, but in the giving of our time. And this is how a child spells love. It's T-I-M-E, right? There's no way around it. Kids measure the, our love for them by the time we spend with them. And when children are grown up, it's often the time of life when parents, especially fathers, are heavily involved in their work, they're busy, they're, they're, they're laying out their careers, uh, and, and it's then just all too easy for the family to live separate lives and the children grow up. Even with dad in the home, the dad's not involved. Absent fathers is said to be uh, the number one contributor to what's been called the downfall of our culture. Uh, and I wonder if that was the root problem with Eli and his sons. Was he just not there? Now, in our lives, as busy as they are, we excuse ourselves that, that we're doing it all for them, right? Uh, but they'd really rather, they'd be better off with fewer luxuries, they'd be better off with fewer toys, and they'd be better off with more of dad. Someone once said that we're so busy giving our children what we didn't have that we don't have time to give them what they need most, and that is us. Another author said, your nine-year-old son will not cherish the memory of the TV you bought for his bedroom, but he will never forget the night that you slept in the yard in an, in an old tent that somebody loaned you. 
He'll remember the sense of excitement as both of you ate too many s'mores and how he felt when the battery and the flashlight died and it was darker than he had ever known. And when he is old, he'll still remember things like that. See, children need our acceptance. If we're going to be the kind of father that God is, children need our acceptance of them. They need to be shown tender and emotional love, which means, guys, we need not to be afraid of our emotions. We are created emotional creatures. We're created in the image of God. We have emotions because God has emotions. And we need to show that tender emotional love to our children. Children have a whole life ahead of them. And what we do for them uh, when, they're, when they're in their impressionable years is going to shape them for the rest of their life. It seems that Eli was a failure as far as his children were concerned. But he did, with another child, somewhat redeem himself as an old man. If you remember the story of Samuel, uh, he was placed in the care of Eli by his mother, Hannah. Now, she had been barren for years, and she prayed for a child and prayed for a child, and it was denied her. But when she finally was able to conceive, and this, the, this son, Samuel, was born to her, uh, she dedicated him to the service of the Lord. And when he was only a child, she took him to the house of the Lord, brought him before Eli, and it says in chapter 1, verse 27, that I've prayed for this child, the Lord granted him to me, uh, so, so here I'm giving him to the Lord, I, you know, I want him to serve the God that gave him to me. And Eli took care of him, really he's kind of an adoptive father. He did things right with Samuel that he didn't do with his own boys. And sometimes, gentlemen, sometimes we get a second chance of sorts. The account presents really kind of a pleasant picture of a small boy dressed in miniature priest costume, you know, ministering before the Lord. And Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and men, it says in chapter 2, verse 18, and then in verse 26. See, God now, though, had, uh, had a special duty for, for Samuel. Um, Eli had grown old, his sons had gotten, gotten worse. I mean, if that was possible, they did, they got worse. Uh, so God sent a prophet to Eli to give him the final warning of the judgment that was to befall Israel for, for dishonoring God, for uh, Eli's two sons propagating this, and for Eli not putting a stop to it. So one night, uh, if you know the story, Samuel was in his early teens. God spoke to him while he was asleep in the courtyard of the sanctuary. And, and you know, when, when our young people come and, you know, when our children or grandchildren come and, and, and say, you know, I, I think God wants me to do something, we need to be careful not to discount the way that God speaks to young people. They're, 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 they're precious to him. I mean, you remember uh, Jesus' rebuke to his disciples when they tried to prevent children from coming to him. He was rather uh, angry at those that would prevent that. So, well, up to this time, Samuel knew about God, but he didn't know God personally. But, but now the Lord revealed to him, himself to him directly. And the story uh, goes that, that God called him, and then on the third time, he finally, he finally answered. This is in chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, if you want to turn there. First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 3, look at verse 6. And it says, And the Lord called yet again Samuel, 
And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and as he arose and went to Eli, he said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Verse 9, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak for thy servant, or speak for thy servant to heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as the other times, and Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak for thy servant heareth. See, God speaks, but he speaks softly. All right? He never raises his voice, he doesn't scream, he doesn't shout, but he does speak personally. Even today he speaks personally through his word. Three times the call came and Samuel naturally thought that it was Eli calling him and he got up and he went to, to, to tell him and, and, and you know, each time, hey look, I didn't call you, go back to bed. You know, how many times parents done that? Kids come to the bedroom? No, go back to bed. Right? Just, just go back to bed. Right? But on the third time, Eli realized it was something special. And he was acting as a true father then because he led that child to respond to God correctly. Now, God spoke to Samuel when he was still young, and Eli was wise enough on hearing that this, this, this third call that it was from God. And that's a huge responsibility parents have in counseling their children. Our children will not get to heaven. Our grandchildren will not get to heaven on our faith. All right? There's no second generation Christians. We must lead our children to faith in Christ. They must have their own relationship with Christ. This is our responsibility to move them as close to Jesus as we can. The opportunity comes, perhaps rarely, but it has to be seized or it's going to pass by. And Eli finally acts as a faithful father to Samuel. So, so verse 9, he says, all right, Samuel, if it happens again, you, you know, you, you go, go lay down. If, if you hear this voice again, all right, you say, speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord did speak to Samuel. It wasn't good news because it was confirmation that God was about to bring judgment on Eli and his sons and the nation of Israel. And Eli realized that God's word to Samuel would be very significant, so he insisted that the young man tell him what God had said. And Samuel faithfully reported to Eli what the Lord had revealed to him. And this was the start of Samuel's ministry. Now it's important that we listen expectantly to what God is saying and that we be obedient to his voice even if we don't like what it is that we're hearing. Whether we're young or old, being a father or a grandfather to our children or grandchildren committed to our care is not an easy task. But it's, 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 it's our responsibility to, to always be moving them closer to Jesus. And we can best do this by modeling Christ, by modeling our Heavenly Father. You know, when Jesus addressed God, he did so in a very personal, um, very intimate way. He used the word Abba. Um, Mark fourteen thirty six is an example of this. This word Abba is used by, by children speaking to their father. It's the equivalent of daddy. Um, it says, as your son or daughter would crawl up in your lap and, and you know, just, just call you daddy. That's, that's what it was. 
The Apostle Paul used this in writing to the churches of Rome and Galatia. It's our privilege to be able to call God Almighty Daddy. Okay? We have, through Christ, that kind of relationship with him. And if we're Christians, if we know Christ as Savior, our relationship with God is as close and as direct as that because Jesus gave to us new meaning of the idea of God as our Father. And in doing so, Jesus, remember, he he had personal experience with a human father. Uh, We don't have a lot of information on Joseph's life. Uh, we, we know that he was alive when, when Jesus was 12. Uh, we don't hear from him after that. Uh, we don't hear from him at the, at the crucifixion. Uh, we know Joseph uh, was a descendant of David, a, a descendant of Solomon. He, he was somewhat royalty. He showed great love and concern for the young Jesus under his care when he took him to Egypt to escape Herod. Uh, you know, which was not, an, I mean, it's not like hopping in the car and, and, and driving to Douglas. You know, I mean, this was a perilous journey. Took him to the temple when he was 12 to fulfill the law of Moses. And in, remember, in the confusion of the crowds and the big families traveling together, parents kind of lost track of Jesus who stayed behind. He was in the temple and in, in the parents' loving concern and parental panic, which if you've misplaced your child you know exactly what that feels like like they went back to to retrieve him but it seems that joseph died sometime between the temple and the baptism of jesus Um, but jesus had a relationship with his earthly father and 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 our goal as fathers and grandfathers is to love our children, to love our grandchildren as much as we can the way that God loves us, to, to follow the example that God gave us in our loving of them. Now, we may not have had great father growing up. We may not even had a good father growing up, but we can be a good father. We can be a good grandfather. And I know that the thought of, 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 of God as your heavenly father may be the idea of God as your heavenly father may be discolored by your earthly father. But as men, it's time to suck it up, buttercup. Right? It is time to get over that, allow God to heal you, allow him to be the father that your father couldn't or wouldn't, stop blaming everybody and take responsibility for yourself, You're not responsible for your dad's behavior, but you are responsible for yours, no matter what he did or didn't do. The best model of fatherhood we have, of course, is God, the Heavenly Father. Now, he's clearly pictured in the parable of the prodigal son. He's seen waiting patiently day after day after day for the return of his son and to welcome him back into the family and If you remember the words of Jesus, how tenderly he spoke of God's love. If you want to look back in Matthew chapter 7, think of this again, uh, where he says, Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? No, No dad's going to do that. Or if he asks a fish, he'll give him a serpent. See, no, no dad's going to do that. If ye then being evil, or, or base is a better word for that, 
know how to good, good, give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now that's, that's our example to, to go above and beyond in our sacrifice for our children and our grandchildren. This is our model. This is what is expected of us in our words, in the giving of our time, showing that tender, emotional love, modeling ourselves on Christ, modeling ourselves on the Heavenly Father, See, hearing God's voice and being willing to follow his guidance is a ministry which... Uh, as a father or a grandfather, we, we want to hear that, that well done, thou good and faithful servant. So if you want to be a good dad, if you want to be a good grandfather, just be Jesus to your kids and grandkids. Live like Jesus to your kids and grandkids. Let's see if we can wrap this up. It's a privilege, remember, it's a privilege to address God as our Father. And we do so because Jesus taught his disciples to offer prayers to our Father in heaven. Now today we want to express, of course, thanksgiving for our fathers, many of whom may not be with us any longer, but we can remember them and we can still honor them. We can still thank God for our memories of them. Uh, they gave us life. They gave us love, roof over our head, food on the table. They did the best they could. If your father's still alive, you still owe your father love and respect. So your Heavenly Father wants to draw near to you. Even if you had no loving Father to protect you or to provide for you in your childhood, if you have children of your own, God, your Father, wants to move close to you. And Christian men need an increasing desire and ability to be able to, to, to be examples to other men, to give godly leadership in their families and their communities. See, it's these examples that are going to help us, whether we're fathers or we've taken on the responsibility of, 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 of parenting other children, uh, to, to, to show other men by our love that they in turn can become, again, still loving, caring dads that they were meant to be. We have the example. We have the template. Dare I say we have the directions. All we need to do is read them, men. And we can be the kind of father, grandfather, mentor that God the Father is for us. I want you to stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we come to you this morning in, in humility. We want to thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for initiating the relationship. Thank you for the love that you show us. Father, please be the father to us that perhaps we wish we had had. Help us to be the kind of father that we wish we had. Lord, we want to thank you for every man that reflects your father heart whether it's toward his own children or his grandchildren or those outside his, uh, his family. 
Lord, help us to fulfill our responsibility of caring for these young men and women that are sons and daughters or grandsons and granddaughters so that they could see you through us, that we can be the example that they need to see, that when they think of you, God, as their father, they'll see you as wise They'll see you as patient. They'll see you as loving. Lord, please do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith, would you come ahead, please?